From the world of AV control and programming with James King, I'm Steve Greenblatt, and this is Ask the Programmer. Hey, James, I'm glad we're back for another session. Oh, always great to connect, Steve, and uh, looking forward to this one. Absolutely. And one of the things that James and I talk about is the reward that we get from our listeners and from the feedback. And we recently had Erin on with us from Johns Hopkins, and, and she really gave us a lot of valuable feedback. And it was great to see and hear from somebody who really appreciates the perspective and the talk about programming. And um, another such person who we've received a lot of feedback from recently is Eric Bernhardt. Uh, he sent us a few messages, uh, commented on some of our episodes on YouTube. Um, thank you, Eric, for doing that. And I encourage, and James as well encourages others to do the same. And we always tell you how to reach us. So today we're going to take uh, Eric's question or topic suggestion, and we're going to talk about how to handle unfamiliar code from existing systems, because that's always a little tricky. Um, and uh, in my situation, which is a little bit different from yours, James, in, in that we I may walk into different projects done by different programmers, done by different companies, and not necessarily even know if we have the latest source code or not. Um, in your situation, you have a little bit more control over that, but I'm sure you've run into situations maybe when you have older systems or even if it's your own code that you haven't seen in a while. So talk a little bit, I guess, about how, how, do, you, how do you go about um, making sure that you don't get, shoot yourself in the foot, let's say, when you're, when you're working with a old code and making new updates? So, yeah, it's, I actually come across this a couple of times. Um, it's, I'm not a big fan of reusing someone else's code. And I, I go that to a, a control issue of, I like to know what is going on. Um, so if I write the code, I know what's going on. If I use someone else's code, I there might be a feature in there that I'm unaware of or something. But there's been times where I had to really, what I would do is sit down and review their code. And sometimes it takes a while, especially depending on what kind of programmer they are, of understanding what they're doing and then why they're doing it and how it differentiates from how I would do it. Um, so as Aaron mentioned uh, in one the one episode, it's good to learn from good programmers. It's also good to learn from bad programmers of what not to do and what to do. And diagnostic code or the dissecting code, that's the word I'm looking for, is how I kind of started in AV, because as I mentioned, I was dropped in. I had a program system before even having any formal training. Basically, the guy who I took over for sent me his source code and goes, and my boss goes, make it work at these features. So I had a lot of questions that I was not getting answers to. I broke a lot of things in a test environment and fixed a lot of things in the test environment. And the funny thing is about a year or two ago, yeah, it was 
uh, before COVID hit, I was actually reviewing that code. And I'm sitting there and going off of what I know now. I'm looking at that code and go, how is this still working? So I think you touched on a lot of great things. You know, one of them being when to modify and when to rewrite, which is always tricky. Um, Also, knowing that you're not going to change something that's going to cause a chain reaction somewhere else. That's always tricky. And people don't really always understand that. And it, and it's uh, hard to explain when you go in and change something. And uh, we haven't really talked you know, on the show a lot. And I think it's going to be a future topic about testing and troubleshooting, but we, but that's so critical because going in and making one little change, it's sometimes very, very hard to isolate your code um, and then, then lastly, like you said, are you building on a solid foundation? So, you know, what, what is it that somebody was thinking when they were doing something? Um, one thing that I try to tell people, and, it, and it's not the easiest thing to do, because especially when you're in the business of making money, writing code, you, you're, you know, speed, efficiency is key. Reusability is key, but you have to be responsible about it because um, many times you write code and, and I'm talking about more from a service provider standpoint than maybe a, a technology manager standpoint, but you write code that somebody else is going to take over, whether you like it or not. So commenting is so important. Uh, and also writing clean code that doesn't take people down dead ends to, or, or leaving remnants from other projects all of those things can, can be so, so difficult when you go in and make modifications because you're not sure if, you're, if this is supposed to work or it just was there from a previous system that you reused the code. Oh, yeah. Um, I think the one thing that drives me mad when I was reviewing uh, old code was it was a very... Um, code written that could be scalability um, to multiple systems. So it wasn't like a target system. And I'm reading the code and there's a lot of like functions that point to other function that all they do is point to another function. So it's like you're calling a function to call another function. It's just, to me, it boggled my mind and I wasn't sure why the programmer would do that. But there was no documentation, no commenting. I'll admit I'm very bad at that. But as you noted, there's a difference between being a tech manager where it's my code most likely is not going to be taken over by someone else to a uh, third party programmer where you have a chance of that happening. It's it's so, such an interesting way of thinking too, because Nobody really can get into somebody else's head. And, and I, the, other, the other thing that I'll, I like to bring up to people is that you're always taught, if, if you go to school for writing code, you're talking, you talk about writing efficient code and optimizing, but, it, but there's also a certain value, especially in what we do for writing more verbose code, because it may be easier to understand or easier to modify um, and and easier for somebody who can't get in your head to understand what you're trying to do. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, I definitely can see that being very beneficial and helpful is making sure robust code is out there that a user can, or another programmer can really sink their teeth in. And kind of getting back to uh, one of the tips and, and I, I struggle from this quite a bit still is that you have to make sure that you're, that you know that you have the latest code and that's always, it could, it could be such, so, so detrimental, so detrimental when you're building on the wrong code. And, and sometimes the best way of doing that, if you can't verify it, um, I mean, there, there's different tricks with different platforms to know, was it loaded in or can you read and see if the same date or compilation date or, or file name is the same, but sometimes you just have to extract what's in there, load what you have, test it, make, and see what works and what doesn't before you build on it. it, it, it it's almost that manual. Oh, definitely. Uh, one thing I've gotten into the habit of starting to do, which I wish I'd done earlier, is the commenting um, in the beginning of the code of, I sorry, I had the line of, this is when the code was last updated, and this is the last time it was pushed to the system. So now I have those two dates in my code. So I can tell if, okay, this, if it was broken before the code, after the code, and as well, if I made any changes since the last time we updated the system. Well, I, I know that sometimes you work with student workers or work with some others who you have do modifications for you. Um, do you require them to write the code in the same manner and the same uh, same format that you do, or do you give them more liberties? So, I haven't really offloaded any code to a student worker. Um, we had a student worker who moved on to a uh, full time job somewhere else, and he did more than just programming. And I never really got to work with him on the programming side. Now. We did have some full-time members who do no programming and we're learning, but then roles change. And, but when I did work with them, it was more of a game in the framework. Um, that's one thing that's really key in higher ed is we're very uh, standard-based. Um, basically, all our classrooms, you know, have the same look and the fields to them with minor changes here and there. Um, so give the user, the, the, the coworker that framework and say room needs to do this and kind of let them do it their way um, and allow them to, you know, find what works for them, what doesn't work for them. So, so it's interesting because I, I, that, that was definitely my mindset. I mean, when I was, when I started my company and I was doing all the code, I, liked knowing that similar to your situation that everything was done in a familiar way and, and whether it was the best way or the, the right way, it, was, it worked and I knew how to understand it. But then as I had more people join my team, I knew that I had to kind of loosen the reins a little bit and let them do things. I kind of showed them the way I did what I did, but I also didn't want to... to um, hold them back from being innovative. 
Um, and now as we've grown quite a bit and evolved, and now we're doing more modern programming language stuff and we're, we're architecting where we do have to be a little bit more standardized or, or have some, some common, um, practices and, and, uh, common ways of doing things because otherwise the code doesn't easily go together when you have multiple people working on the same project. Yes. Um, definitely making sure everyone's the same page is key. Um, even allowing, like I said, my coworker, the free range, um, roles have changed now and really back to where it's only me being the only programmer. And when I got a, make changes their code it's it takes longer than when i have to make changes in my own code um so definitely if i would give them a more template and saying this is how the code should be done it would have made my taking over easier but i felt like then it wouldn't it wasn't providing that person the the freedom to learn and innovate, as you mentioned, um, which kind of in higher ed, we do have the advantage of doing that because, yes, as long as our assistants are working for our students and our faculty members, if I'm programming one way or someone else is programming different, it's not going to break the bank where I can understand as a programming house or a software development company, you got to, if Jimmy calls out SIG, Susie needs to be able to program it in a timely manner, where in higher ed is, I, I, yes, we have time frame, but I think we have a little more leeway. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. I, um, I hope that, that we've been able to answer Eric's question. And I think in his role, um, seems like he comes more from a service provider background. So I would imagine that part of the the perspective is to understand how to educate a client about it and how to also protect yourself. So uh, two things that I very much know about. So if we didn't answer the question or we didn't touch on all of the areas, please uh, let us know so that we can have a follow-up discussion about it. And um, we'd be glad to speak with you offline. Um, but I hope that this was uh, valuable to both Eric and also other audience members. Um, and, and as we, we keep saying, please, uh, please reach out and, and, uh, and, re and send your questions and let us know uh, what we can do to cover the topics that want to be heard. Um, uh, with that said, James, how can people get in touch with you and, and learn what you're doing and, uh, and any other um, uh, uh, requests that you have of the audience? Oh, as always, as Steve mentioned, and I have as in the past, send your comments in, reach out to us. Um, I am on Twitter. My handle is AV underscore James King. I'm on LinkedIn, not as uh, active, but I'm on there as well. I also write for the higher ed digital magazine. I do the column IT and AV. That's a monthly column that comes out. So we're out there. Send your comments, send your um suggestions in. Uh, we love to hear from you guys. And for me, uh, you can find me on social media at Steve Greenblatt. Keep it pretty simple. Um, but, and we are trying to be 
active um, in, in different areas and uh, pl please reach out to either of us. And, and if you do like what we're doing, it would be an honor if you could share this with a friend or a colleague or post about it, that, that would really make our day. Um, and, and if you thought highly enough to leave us a review or a rating, that would be really great as well. Uh, we could be found on Apple, Google, YouTube, all of the uh, common places that you would find podcasts and uh, video uh, blogs. So with that, that's what we have today. And this has been Ask the Programmer.